Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Scripture reading today will be from Luke chapter number 13. Uh, verses 31 through 35. I'll ask you to please stand as we read these verses. Luke 13, beginning in verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would bless this reading of your word to our ears, that you would give us hearts that are open to receive what you have for us in your word. Help us to learn to have a biblical perspective of you, of your love, of your justice. I pray, God, that you would correct any out-of-balance views that each one of us may have of you and of your character. If one of us here, Lord, is thinking of you in terms of uh, just judgment and harshness, I pray, God, that you would correct that and show us your graciousness, your patience, your long-suffering towards sinners. If others of us here today, God, are thinking of you as just loving and soft on sin and almost indifferent and as as, as though you, you just never judge sinners, I pray, God, that you would correct that view and show us your justice and your holiness. Ultimately, God, I pray that you would help each of us to see you uh, as you reveal yourself in Scripture, pray, God, your, that your Spirit would come upon us as we listen today, uh, that we would take what we hear, that we would receive it, and that we would respond accordingly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, today's text is one of those that I probably would have never chosen to preach from, quite frankly, uh, if I wasn't preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible. One of the things that that does is it forces you to teach on passages that many preachers would just kind of ignore because they're difficult. Uh, and our text today is, is one such uh, passage. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, uh, verse by verse, and so today we're in Luke 13. And uh, an initial reading of these verses may seem like they're totally irrelevant to us. Uh, Jesus is talking about Jerusalem. He's lamenting the judgment that's going to come to them. Uh, but I think by the time we're finished, you'll see that in these few verses... Uh, tucked away at the back of Luke 13. Uh, Luke really shows us quite a bit about God, shows us quite a bit about his nature. And so we begin today in verse 31 where Luke says, At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Uh, Notice first that it was the Pharisees who came and gave Jesus this warning. Now, the Pharisees were no friends of Jesus. They were not concerned about his well-being. They hated him. Uh, These were not friends who were concerned about Christ. No, the Pharisees came with this report in an attempt to intimidate Jesus. 
and to get him to leave their area. Jesus was regularly contradicting the teaching uh, and the rules that the Pharisees had set up. Uh, He did so in the previous chapter, you remember in Luke 12, where he pointed out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And so they come to Christ uh, saying, you'd better leave here because Herod wants to kill you. By the way, these two groups, the Pharisees and uh, the followers of Herod, had previously met uh, to try to plot an assassination of Jesus. We see this in Mark 3. It says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, against Jesus, how to destroy him. And so the followers of Herod and the, fo- and the Pharisees, uh, they had the same goal. They were all wanting Jesus gone. This is not a threat to be taken lightly. Herod was a very violent man. He was a man to be feared. You remember in Matthew chapter 2, Herod the Great had tried to kill Jesus as a baby when he ordered all the babies in Bethlehem to be killed. Uh, This is not that same Herod. This is Herod Antipas, his son. Uh, But you might say, like father, like son. He was uh, quite uh, vicious, uh, just like his father. It was this Herod, Herod Antipas, who had uh, killed John the Baptist. Uh, Back in Luke chapter 9, it mentions that. John the Baptist, of course, you remember, was Jesus' cousin. And so, Herod had already killed a very close relative of Christ. And so this wasn't an idle threat. Herod had killed one prophet already. He was certainly capable of killing another. And so hearing this threat, this this, uh, report that Herod was seeking his life, uh, this is not an idle threat. This is not something that would have been taken lightly. Now, we don't know for sure that Herod even said this. It could be that the Pharisees were just making this up. Uh, We were just taking their word for it here. It may be that they made this whole uh, rumor up in an attempt to scare Jesus away. But either way, they come to Christ, they tell him Herod wants to kill him, and the Pharisees were no doubt hoping that this news would drive Jesus away. You see there in uh, verse 31, it it starts off by saying, get away from here, because Herod wants to kill you. Uh, They just wanted Jesus out from their area, from their jurisdiction, if you will. Uh, They wanted to have dominance in the religious uh, circles in which they taught. And Jesus was... Uh, ruining that. Verse 32, Jesus responds to this warning and says, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Uh, Jesus responds in a manner that we may not expect. He is blunt. Uh, He calls Herod a fox. Uh, Some scholars will debate what Jesus exactly meant by this, whether he was saying that Herod was crafty, uh, subtle like a fox, or if it was just Uh, an insult. Either way, it was clearly a derogatory term. In fact, uh, even more so in the original Greek, this is in the feminine uh, gender. Uh, So he's really just sticking it to Herod here. It may also be, uh, whatever the exact meaning is, uh, the main thing here to notice is that Jesus is refusing to be intimidated by Herod. Herod gives this, or the Pharisees give this report that Herod, this dangerous man in a position of power, a vicious man, was seeking his life, and Jesus refuses to be intimidated. He goes on to say, I've healed people, I've cast out demons today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. That's just a colloquial way of saying, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I will not be affected, this threat will not deter me at all from doing what I've planned to do. And so he's just ignoring this threat entirely and saying, I'm going to do uh, what what God's will is for me to do, regardless of this threat. Now, uh, verse 33, there's a rare bit of sarcasm here from Jesus. He says, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be 
that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Uh, This was something you would say with a smirk. Uh, It can't be that a prophet would be killed uh, anywhere but Jerusalem. Uh, That's what they were known for. If you study the Old Testament, Jerusalem regularly killed the prophets of God. God would send people uh, to Israel with messages of judgment or messages just telling them to repent of sin. And they were almost without exception. Uh, rejected, many times imprisoned, and many times even killed. Sometimes these prophets were killed even in the temple itself. And once again, we're reminded of the fact here that Jesus is headed for the cross. He says, I I need to go towards Jerusalem uh, because I'm going to be killed there. This is why he came to earth. Jesus came to die in the place of sinners and to rise again. And as we saw last week, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Back in chapter 9 of Luke, we see he leaves Galilee and he heads uh, south toward Jerusalem. And so from chapters 9 all the way to chapter 19, those 10 chapters cover this six-month journey or so uh, where he's traveling from the north of Galilee down to Jerusalem where he will be arrested and, and crucified. This journey is what makes up the majority of Luke's gospel. And Jesus knows. Uh, he knew this from the time that he left. That he, at the time that he set out for Jerusalem, he knew that he was going there to be killed. And so the response to Herod's threat is uh, quite simple. Jesus says, I, I came here on a mission. I'm going to complete that mission. I will not be intimidated uh, by Herod's threat. I'm not going to be deterred from reaching my goal. Notice the verse, uh, first word of verse 33 there is, Nevertheless. He hears this threat and he says, uh, regardless of that, I'm going, I'm continuing my way toward Jerusalem. And so as he thinks about what awaits him in Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to be killed there, he begins to lament the coming judgment against Jerusalem. Verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Uh, There is a judgment coming to Jerusalem for their rejection of the prophets and ultimately of Jesus himself. We'll see this in the next verse. But here, just notice the tenderness. Even in this message of judgment, Jesus does not delight in the judgment of these uh, rejectors of the prophets. You see in the beginning of verse 34, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Uh, The repetition of the name denotes tenderness. It's kind of like back in chapter 10 when Jesus said, Martha, Martha, and then he offered that gentle rebuke to her. Uh, Acts chapter 9, Jesus says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? This is not an angry God who's delighting in sending judgment against Jerusalem. Instead, we find him weeping over the hardness of their hearts. He expresses his desire that they would repent and be forgiven, but they would not. They are refusing to hear the message of Christ and to submit to him as their Messiah and King. And so the judgment of God is coming. But it is not a judgment from a God who delights in doing so. Some of us, this is the first kind of corrective I want to offer to our view of God. Some of us think of God as a harsh, uh, angry, quick to snap on sinners, as though uh, as soon as we violate his commands, he's just uh, ready to come down on us with an iron fist. And that's not at all what we see in Scripture. Ezekiel 18 God says, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? The obvious answer there is no. God has no pleasure in the judgment of the wicked. God would prefer that he turn away from his sin and be spared. 
Verse 32 of the same chapter says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Again, chapter 33 of Ezekiel, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? You see God pleading in these verses with those who are living in rebellion and sin against him. Those who deserve God's judgment, they're refusing to follow him. And it breaks his heart to send judgment upon them. Again, many of us view God as austere, uh, judgmental, quick to pounce on us when we sin. And it's true that God is holy, that God is just. God will not allow sin to go unpunished. But it's also true that God's heart is one of compassion. He gets no delight in the judgment that he sends to the wicked. Uh, Charles Spurgeon pointed out that in the 89 chapters that make up the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, there's only one place where Jesus tells us what his heart is like. Matthew 11, verse 29, listen to the way that he describes himself. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Dane Ortland wrote this, In the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, we are not, we are not told that he is austere and demanding in heart, We are not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. God does not delight in sending judgment. Over and over, the testimony of Scripture is of God's patience towards sinners. He is merciful. He is long-suffering. He is gracious. He's ready to forgive if we will just repent and turn to him. But there does come a point where God's patience is exhausted. And this is the, the balancing uh, aspect of this. You know, some of us view God as austere, uh, quick to pounce. We don't see compassion at all in God. Others of us have a different problem. Uh, we see God as so loving, uh, so merciful, so soft, if you will, that he's basically indifferent towards sin. And that is not the case either. There is a point at which God's grace has been taken advantage of too long, and then his judgment falls. We see this in verse 35 of our text where he says, Behold, your house is forsaken. Uh, Those are some of the most frightening words in all of Scripture. He is talking to Jerusalem, the city of God, and he says to them, You've been forsaken by God. Judgment is coming against Jerusalem for their rejection of Christ. Jesus said back in chapter 11 of Luke, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation." From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. All the blood of all the prophets throughout history that have been killed by the Jews, that have been uh, killed and rejected in Jerusalem, would be charged against that generation, meaning uh, the judgment for all that sin was going to hit them. God's mercy had run out. Uh, For centuries, they had killed the prophets that God had sent to them, and now 
God himself had come in the man Jesus Christ, and they killed him as well. In Matthew 24, Jesus prophesies of this coming destruction in in stark details. Uh, Talks about the destruction that's going to hit Jerusalem. He says, the city is going to be surrounded by armies. The temple is going to be obliterated. Many of the Jews living in Jerusalem would be killed. And after speaking about this period of intense tribulation and judgment, Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And the judgment of God against the Jews for rejecting his prophets would come suddenly on that generation living in Jerusalem, and it did. It is a historical fact that the destruction of Jerusalem took place just as Jesus said it would within that generation that had killed Christ. Uh, Less than 40 years later, in AD 70, the Jews were celebrating Passover. This means Jews from all over Israel would be gathered together in Jerusalem for this event. The Roman army came and surrounded the city, so nobody could get out. During this five-month siege, over a million Jews died, most of them of starvation. The Jews refused to surrender, and the Roman soldiers, under the command of uh, the general Titus, then entered the city and destroyed it. They destroyed the temple, just as Jesus had predicted. Uh, The historian Josephus says that so many Jews were crucified during this attack on Jerusalem that there wasn't enough room for crosses or enough wood to build them. How could God do this? How could he forsake his people like this? How could he allow them to be slaughtered by their enemies? God is patient, but not forever. God is gracious, but if you continually harden your heart and refuse to listen to his word, judgment will come. And these Jews of Jesus' day had asked for it. Uh, Their generations prior to them had continually killed the prophets. And then when their Messiah, when their king comes, they killed him. Remember in Matthew 27, Pilate is pleading with the people not to condemn, condemn Jesus to death, but the crowds in Jerusalem demanded that he be killed. Verse 22, Pilate said to them, What shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. He said, Why? What, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, But rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See it to yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. What a frightening statement to make. Then he released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified. Jerusalem was the city known for killing the prophets God had sent to them, but here they killed the very Son of God himself. Their Messiah had come, the King had arrived, and he was rejected by his own people. As the Apostle John wrote at the beginning of his gospel, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So what do we learn from this text? What's the takeaway for us? Uh, These verses are directed specifically to Jerusalem, and so it may seem like it's irrelevant, but I think there's at least two valuable truths we can learn about God that apply to us as well. First, God is just. God will punish sin. And we should not think that just because God has been patient with us so far in our our stubbornness, in our sin, that he is indifferent. We can fall into the trap of thinking that because God didn't strike us dead the first time we violated his commands, he must not really care how we live. 
But Scripture clearly shows us a God who does send judgment on those who refuse to submit to his will, and ultimately, eternal judgment. But we also find a God of tenderness and patience, a God who describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart, a God who even in the midst of prophesying judgment against Jerusalem does so with tears, saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you to myself to spare you from this judgment, but you were unwilling. You refused my offer. And so Jesus came to Israel. He he said that he was the promised Messiah, the king who would usher in the kingdom of God. And they said to him, we will not have this man rule over us. And so as we acknowledge that, yes, God is holy, that God does judge sinners, we must also see the grace of God that calls us to repentance while we still have the chance. Uh, By the way, God did give those who were living in Jerusalem another chance to repent, even after, even after they had put the Son of God to death. In in, uh, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, Peter concludes his sermon with these words, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I mean, you can hear the desperation in their voice as they realize, We killed the Messiah. We killed the Son of God. Uh, What should we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. These were the very same people who cried out, crucify him, just a few weeks earlier. This was the generation of Jews that Jesus had said was doomed, that they would face God's judgment for rejecting the prophets and even killing their Messiah. And yet they still have an opportunity to repent. They come to realize what they've done, and they say, what shall we do? Peter says, repent be baptized, and you will be forgiven. He urges them to save themselves from the coming judgment. And at least 3,000 of them here uh, respond with faith and repentance. They're baptized. They become part of what we know as the New Testament church. So here's the point. As long as you're alive, God's offer of forgiveness is extended to you. The moment you die, it's too late. Uh, You're either going to go into the presence of God forever or away from his presence under his judgment for your sins. But that offer of forgiveness and eternal life is yours today. God does not want you to be condemned. Uh, He pleads with you to turn and live. He gets no pleasure out of the death of a wicked. So repent while you have the chance. Even in this pronouncement of judgment, the offer of forgiveness is still there. If you would just repent, uh, all would be forgiven. So yes, God is a just God, but he's also long-suffering and patient. He loves us. Yet he will judge the hard-hearted who continues to refuse his gracious offer of salvation. And so we close this morning with some of the most famous words in all of the Bible, a passage that so perfectly shows us the love of God and the justice of God. John 3, starting in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe in is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Every one of us has a choice to make. Will we believe in Christ? Will we turn from our sins? Or will we stubbornly refuse and live however we want and then face God's judgment? Christ died in our place. He took the punishment for our sins. And the offer of forgiveness is extended to all. Anyone who would repent, anyone who would turn to Christ. But that offer of forgiveness is only accepted when we turn in faith to him. And so hear the voice of God today, turn and live. He stands ready and willing to forgive. Father, I pray that you would help help each of us to have a biblical and a balanced view of your nature and character. Uh, We dare not take advantage of your mercy and grace as though you're indifferent towards our sin. Yet at the same time, God, help us not to be afraid of you as though we, we, we can never be forgiven. We've done too much wrong. Pray, God, that you would help us to realize that is not true. You are ready and willing to forgive us of all of our sins. If you could forgive the Jews who killed your son, surely you can forgive us of our sins. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that is not certain that they've been forgiven, pray, God, you would give them faith and repentance, that you would help them to trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, that you'd turn them back to serve and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.